0: ask you to open your Bible or turn on your Bible, as Joe said last week, to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. We're in part 7, which is the final message of this series that we've kicked off at the beginning of the year, which is a refreshing of what the New Hope Church stands for. And so if you're new to our church, this has been a good series for you to find out kind of what we, we bank on. And this is the last message of this series And it's, it's, it's probably, I think It's the thing that I get up for every day It's all about grace And so, um, from an, a very extraordinary and important passage in the scriptures Ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 through 10 This is the word of God And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked That's how the Bible talks You're dead following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is the devil, by the way, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me just pause for a moment. Many of you think there's words and stuff going on, but actually there's a spirit in the world. There's a lot of people today who just think we're just walking, talking, thinking meat. Well, it's not true. We are spiritual beings, and there are spirits in this world, and... The spirit that we walk in is are those who don't believe in God, don't don't believe in Jesus and know God, they walk in the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what the scriptures say. Verse three Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's a tough pill to swallow. Like the rest of mankind. Lord, Holy Spirit, God who gives us and imparts grace, help us to see what we've received through Jesus and take us to the Father. That we who stumble and bumble and so often turn to ourselves and look to our own resources and our own efforts and our own wisdom and our own righteousness, Lord, Spirit, pour forth grace that we would see the absolute sufficiency, the super-sufficiency of Jesus and what he has done for us. Pour forth grace upon us. Change us, transform us, remake us, and give us life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Three parts to my message today. Part one I'm going to call Grace and the Walking Dead. Grace and the Walking Dead. Part two I'm going to talk about grace motivation, grace motivation, how that is the real and true important engine for how human beings change and grow in God. And three, I'm going to close out with a story, and I'm going to talk about how it's all by grace. It's all by grace. Now, part one, let's talk about grace and the walking dead. You know, this is an incredibly rich and profound text, um, I could spend weeks and weeks, literally. I'm serious. We could spend weeks on this text. and but I'm not going to do it justice, but we're just going to just look at a couple things. At the beginning of this passage, it says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then he, goes, he says it again later in verse 5, we were dead in our trespasses. This is how the Bible talks. And when the Bible says that you were dead, it's not using just some kind of a metaphor that we were kind of just not doing very well. Or, you know, we're just kind of flopping around. People who don't know God, who haven't believed in Jesus, who haven't trust in his redemptive work through his death and resurrection on the cross, the way the Bible puts it is that you, you're dead. I know it's strange. These people are walking. They're talking. They're thinking. They don't seem dead. But the way the Bible says it is, that you are fundamentally a spiritual being. And there's something inside of you, you, you are a spirit, and your spirit is intended to connect to God. And when you have that connection to God, then you have life. But otherwise, you may be walking, you may be talking, you may be eating, pooping, whatever you do, right? But you're really inside, in your core of your being, you are dead. And dead people, they don't have life, okay? They don't, They don't have all the things that living people, the way life with the capital L, the way the Bible puts it. Those who have life, the way they think and move and have their being. And what is the difference between those who are dead and those who are living? The difference is grace. Grace is the difference. Grace is the absolute difference between the dead who don't know God and those who have met God through Jesus and who are alive. And if you have grace and you are alive in Christ, nothing can kill you. You could die of this earth. This, the, the world may be full of evils. You may get cancer or you may be oppressed. You may toss in a prison. All kinds of terrible things can happen to you. But if you have grace and thus you are alive in Christ, nothing can kill you. Now, at the beginning of this, um, to just talk about this, it, it says... That's the way the beginning of this passage. And I know that sounds just a really dramatic way of talking, but that's how the Bible puts it. You are dead. I remember trying to explain this passage to a friend of mine a number of years ago. And I said, the Bible says you're dead. It doesn't just mean you're kind of dead. It really means you're dead, dead, dead. That's what it says. It's really dramatic. And it's hard sometimes for us to wrap our mind around because you meet these people. Some are nice. They seem admirable. They seem kind. And you want to hang out with them. And then there are other people that you know that are liars, they're selfish, they're two-faced, they're prideful, they're jerks. And when you hear that these people don't know God, you're like, well, I believe it. Because, I mean, heck, this person seems pretty messed up. But what the Bible is saying is even the people who seem very good, who seem very admirable, seem very religious, if they live apart from God through Jesus, they're dead. That's what the Bible says. But when you get to the middle of this passage, he says it again. He's like a broken record. By grace, you have been saved. It's by grace. The, it's the immeasurable riches of God's grace that God is trying to show since Jesus has come. It is by grace. It is by grace. It's by grace. I mean, he just goes on and on. Now, at the beginning portion of this message, let me give you, let me give you a definition. Let me tell you what is grace. And grace is such a tremendous thing that you can say it in multifaceted ways. It's like a reality that you look at from different angles. But let me just give you um, three quick definitions and maybe this will help you. Grace is to receive far more than you deserve. In fact, it's to receive far more than you could possibly even hope to deserve. Sometimes this is hard to get. If you give two cents worth of work But if someone then offers you a million-dollar mansion, how would you react to that? (laughs) What the heck? That's just crazy. It is utterly... What you have received and what you have given are completely so disproportionate, it makes no sense. In fact, it's so weird, the, the world really doesn't have a word for this. Only Christians talk about this word. That word is grace. You know, according to the Bible... What you actually, if you were to get what you actually earned in your life, what you deserve, you know what the Bible says that you deserve? What you deserve is wrath. You deserve condemnation. You deserve rejection. And that's a really hard thing for people to get. That the children of disobedience, those people who are dead, that they are the children of wrath. That's what it says. By nature, you're born as children of wrath. I mean, wow. And I know that that is a really offensive and hard message to take. But, you know, people go, I know good people and they do good things. If they do these good things and, you know, they make certain mistakes here and there, how can God have wrath on them? But if you look at it that way, you don't understand that human beings were meant to have a deep and profound relationship with God, that it's not just good acts versus bad acts. If you just add up all the good acts and you have some bad acts, how come God can't just let go of the bad acts? Your relationship is more something like this, that if you have, let's say you are a waiter and you bring food to your customer. You say, here, I brought you some good food. Isn't it really tasty? It smells really good, doesn't it? Oh, by the way, I, I made a few screw-ups and I accidentally spat in it. I actually spat into it and I dropped it on the ground. And by the way, oops, I, I dropped it into the toilet after I pooed into it. But it's still good food, by the way, right? And let me offer this to you. It's a relationship that the waiter is offering to a customer, and that's what he's giving. He's giving you, yes, it was good food, but now it has been made unholy and profane and spoiled by what we call sin. And when you go up to God and say, I've done some good stuff. Can't you just let the stuff go? Well, that's what you're offering, God. You're offering your life. And it's like a dish, that you dropped into the toilet and stepped on and pooed on and all this other stuff. And what do you think God's going to do? He's going to reject it, of course, because wouldn't you? Right? That's why we're the children of wrath. This is what you offer God. Even your righteousness, even all your efforts to be a good person, even all your re- efforts to even be a good Christian, if that's the way you look at Christianity as a religion, This is you offer it with full of your sin and all the cancerousness and the grossness of it. And we offer this to God and you know what he gives you back? Himself, his kingdom, eternity, his love, absolute security, this full totality of his riches. That's why we call this grace. It's like you're giving... It's not, even, it's not even right to say you give two pennies and you get a million dollars back. That's not even good enough. It's really more like you give crap and you get the whole world. We call that grace. You get far more than you could possibly deserve. Let me give you just a second definition. Grace is the way and power that God draws, woos, and moves us to know him, trust him, love him, obey and follow him. Let me say it again. Grace is the way and power that God draws, woos, moves us to know him, trust him, love him, obey and follow him. Grace is a power. You know why God does it by grace? You know, some people go, you know, I have certain problems in my life. I'm kind of a a selfish, angry person. And isn't God omnipotent? Why don't he just snap his fingers and fix me? I I just have this issue. I, I, you know, every now and then I just can't get off the porn. I gotta look at naked women on the computer. Or I'm a depressed person. You know, I get just down on myself and I get really low and sad. Or I'm really materialistic. I just can't help but the fact that I just love really nice things and this is all the stuff that makes me happy in life, right? Why can't God just snap his fingers? He's omnipotent. And he could just fix me. Can't he just fix me? You know why God doesn't do it that way? Because if God did it that way, you wouldn't be a person. You'd be a machine or you'd be an object. Persons have minds and hearts and souls and desires and need relationship. If, you, if, if you're just an engine, we could just fix you. We open you up, we change out to certain parts and we fix you. If you're a computer, we could zap you. Actually, all these people who just want just to be fixed like this, like you're an object, I call this zap theology. There's so many people, they just want to go to church. They just want to go, blah, oh, pray, and then God just zaps me, and then, and then I'll be fixed, right? And I'll be good. But that's zap theology is not what the Bible teaches. If you believe in zap theology, you need to repent and get rid of that because you're asking to be treated like an object, and God will never treat you like an object. He respects you and loves you and cherishes you. So God treats you like a person. In order to treat like a person who's so backwards and who's so lost, you know what he has to do? He has to love you by grace. Grace is the way he reaches us. Grace is the way his power comes to impart his greatness and his love and his desire for us. It's by grace, Right? And so he gives us himself. He gives us a relationship, something we could possibly never, ever earn or deserve. And this is the way he gets to us, right? Let me give you one more definition. Grace is literal supernatural power unto eternal life. You can actually taste it. It's something that's actually almost tangible. It's a power. Now, it's something you can't, You know, there are people, it's something that's apprehended by faith, but it's quite real. It's not just an idea, just some hocus-pocus, wishful thinking, pie in the sky, there's a sin called grace and then people get to go to heaven, okay? No, it's very real. When people get grace, and grace is imparted to them from God, how do you get it? You get it from God, and particularly you get it from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you grace. And when he does, it is the difference. It makes dead people come to life. It makes sputtering people, because there are some people who are Christians, they are alive in Christ, but they're not living very well. <laughs> they're, they're stumbling. They're weak. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're, they're barely alive, okay? It is grace. It is literally a supernatural power to make the dead come to life and the dying and the sputtering be revived. And only the Holy Spirit can give this to you. So let me just read those one more time. Grace is to have far more than one deserves, far more than one could possibly ever even hope to deserve. Grace is the way and power that God draws, woos, and moves us to know Him, love Him, trust Him, love Him, obey and follow Him. And grace is literal, supernatural power unto eternal life. That's what it has. When you get this, When you get the grace of God, you get eternal life, which starts now. Eternal life doesn't start after you get to heaven. It starts now when you get Jesus. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. Now, let me make a couple more points before I move on to the second part of my my message. How do you get grace? Some of you are like, grace, this is great. Okay, how do you get it, pastor? That's a really good question, right? I know it is of sovereign moving of God. If God doesn't give it to you, you ain't going to get it. I mean, I can't dispense it. This is a big difference between the way, um, the, the way Protestants and Catholics think. Catholics think that the priest can give grace to you. He gives it to you through the host. Not true. The Bible nowhere teaches that, right? God only gives grace, and the pastor can't give it. But here's how you get it. There's, there is what the Bible says there's normal ways that God normally imparts it. And what's what theologians call the normal means toward grace. And it's great that there's normal means. Otherwise, we would have just like, pray it down. Come on, God. We need some grace here, right? But no, there's actually normal means. And the normal means toward receiving God's grace is word and spirit. Word and spirit. The way you receive grace, I know this is why... Churches have to be so filled with the Bible, is to hear the word, and particularly the central word of the Bible, which is the gospel. When you hear how the gospel imparts grace through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on his cross, that is where, when you hear that, through that, the Holy Spirit will impart grace to you. You know, I know that many of you, especially if you've been in the church before, you go like, "I've heard the word of God," or "I've read the Bible," and it's just like blah, blah, blah. It didn't seem like much to me. And sometimes you go to a church, and the guy up front, you know, he just talks too long, like like this like this church, right? He talks too long, and you're like, "Gosh, I didn't get much out of that." And you go home, it's like one year one year out the other, and you know, like, "How, how do you get grace from that? And you know, the Bible just seems just to be the Bible, but grace doesn't come just only from the word. The Word has to come to life. Your blind eyes, your dead heart must come to apprehend the truth of those words and come to believe in them. And only the only way that happens is when God the Holy Spirit does it to you. God the Holy Spirit makes the Word come to life. It makes, through the gospel, Jesus Christ is exalted and you come to believe it. That's When that happens, that's grace. God is literally working on you. And I know that to people, like, they're looking for some kind of, like, super duper miraculous thing from the outside lightning bolts and all this other stuff. But when that is happening inside of a person, someone who is dying or someone who is dead, life is being imparted to them from the Holy Spirit. That's the way it works. In fact, so often where the Bible talks, grace and the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit longs to do the Holy Spirit longs to impart grace into dead and dying hearts. And what the Holy Spirit goes is wherever Jesus is exalted. That's why the gospel is so important. What is the Holy Spirit's big goal? The Holy Spirit's absolute passion is to let Jesus be exalted and known and loved and worshiped and bowed down. And so, hence, where a church confidently in conviction, proclaims and sings and believes in and cherishes and imbibes the gospel, that's where Jesus is exalted. That's when the Holy Spirit likes to show up. There's many churches that says, we believe in the Bible, but what they like to tell you is, well, we like to tell you all the parts of the Bible that make you feel guilty. We like to tell you all the parts of the Bible that are useful and practical. We like to give you all the commands of the Bible. But the people who, who look at the Bible that way are looking at it almost kind of like getting the appetizer, but not the middle, not the real meal. It's not where Jesus gets exalted. And where Jesus is exalted, that's where the Holy Spirit likes to show up, right? And hence, that's why it's word and spirit. And so, yes, I may give a good sermon and be all clever and articulate, but if God the Holy Spirit doesn't come to help you see its truth and power and give you conviction in it, then you have not been graced. But generally, wherever Jesus is exalted, the Holy Spirit loves to be there. And when you hear that word, you'll get the grace, right? Sometimes you get a little bit doses and sometimes you get it large, but to get it even in little doses is life. Now, one last point before we go to, uh, to part two. Grace like this only comes from Christianity. It's only Christians who are wild about grace, right? Because everybody else believes in the self-salvation project. It's only Christians. It's only by the cross. It's only by the gospel. It's only through Jesus Christ that you get what you could possibly never earn. And that's that's why Christians love this word. That's why it's Christians who are always naming their daughters grace. That's why the Bible is so full of grace, John chapter one, Jesus Christ was come. He was full of grace and truth. At the beginning of almost every single one of Paul's letters, grace and peace to you. At the end of so many of these services, I give you a word that blesses you, a benediction, which is a good word. You know what? It, so many it says. I'm quoting from Second Corinthians: "Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be to you." We just love this thing. Let me just say, I'll give you a piece of advice. If you were to ever leave our church or go to move to another city and you need to find a good church and you're like, how do you find out what's a good church? Let me tell you how you find out what's a good church. Wherever they exalt Jesus through the gospel and where they are absolutely in love with grace. You go to a church and these people are hog wild about grace. Grace is about grace of Jesus. Grace of this. And it's like, they just say this all the time. Like they're like, you like, gosh, it's like, this is making me sick to hear this thing. But you know why they say it so much? Because they love it so much because they love life, life from God so much, right? A church that absolutely will bank on grace. That's where the Holy Spirit will show up. That's where you should go, right? And if a church that doesn't bank on grace, well, they may be a practical church, and they may be lots of nice people there, but they may not be practicing real Christianity. They may be practicing churchianity. Let me tell you something. Churchianity sucks. Don't go to a church that practices churchianity. Go to a church to practice real Christianity, which is all of grace. Okay? All right, let's go to part two. Part two, grace motivation. What is the engine for how human beings could really be redeemed and be transformed deeply from the inside of their heart to their mind their whole life? They could really be changed. The real engine of this is... Grace, motivation. You know, um, let me tell you something that (laughs) may be a little bit of news to you. I'm going to impart to you a little pastoral secret here now. It's not really a secret, but it seems to be a secret because a lot of people don't get this. When I meet people in the church, you know, you can meet a guy. he, He comes to church regularly. He prays. He gives money. Meet another person. Comes to church regularly, he prays, I believe in the Bible, he says, I believe in the Bible, I believe in the Bible. But you meet one person, this this guy says he's a Christian, comes to church regularly, even gives money and prays, but he prays half-heartedly. All this stuff you do as a Christian, it seems more like a drag. They barely read the Bible. Their prayer life is weak. You know, they're stingy about their money. They don't want to serve God. They're not interested and excited about the things that the church does to help people connect to Jesus. So this person does the stuff of Christianity, but does it very half-heartedly. And then you meet another person. This person's like, their face is all lit up. Whenever they hear about Jesus, they get all excited about Jesus. And they gladly give money. They want to pray. They love digging into the Bible. They want to hear the messages. By the way, that's another reason why I'm not afraid to give long messages because it weeds out the difference between the person like this and this. Well, you get to find out who loves to hear about Jesus, right? And these people, what, when, what's the difference between these two people? They both say they're Christians. They both go to church. They both have the so-called right doctrines, right? But the difference is their motivation. What motivates them to be a Christian and to do the things that Christians do? What motivates them? That's the real question, And there's lots of people in the church who say they're Christians, but they're not motivated by grace. That isn't what drives them and impels them to follow Christ. Oftentimes, they're motivated by fear or guilt or duty or obligation or the worst one of all, pride. I'm a good person and I'm a good Christian and I know the Bible and I'm a better, and I tithe, and I pray harder than this guy. That's why he, you know, he's kind of like a junior Christian, and I'm like advanced. <laughs> or I'm better than this person. This person doesn't know God at all. I'm a good Christian. That's why I do all the things, and this person is just dead and lost because he doesn't know Jesus. Pride. There's lots of people who are motivated to do the stuff that Christians do out of pride. That one stinks. It's the worst, right? That is truly offering God a plateful of food after you crapped in it. Right. And there's lots of people who say they're Christians, and that's what that motivates them. But tons of people in the church fear, guilt, obligation, duty. Right. And none of those things are the stuff of God. It's when you are graced from the greatness of Jesus and you begin to believe this. And you want, you, you, you cherish this so much. You want to help other people get this too. When that motivates you, that's when I know, wow, God is at work here. And you know, this is a little, my little pastoral secret. Every time I meet you, I'm not trying to scare you. When I start talking to you and start getting to know you a little bit, I'm looking for this. I'm looking to what makes this person tick. I'm trying to read your heart. Of course, I can't actually look into your heart. You know, everybody's trying to hide their heart. Everybody's your got it. But you know what? You can't fake this. You can try to act like, so you can't fake this and you can't cheat me out of this. I'll figure it out, right? Not because I'm some super duper master that has some like some secret like decoder glasses that can look into your heart, but because if grace is in your heart and motivating you to follow Jesus, it'll, it'll come out and I'll see it. I'll see it in your face. I'll see it in your actions, I'll see it in your desires and intentions. It'll come out in one way or another. Right? But grace motivation, being motivated by grace, this, in many ways, this is the holy grail of our church. This is what we're, we're, we're driving after. I'm looking for this all the time. And I, I, with all my passion, I give to you the gospel because I, then I say, God, love this person. Holy Spirit, pour grace out of this person. Because when that happens, it's a beautiful and incredible thing. In all honesty to me, you know, because the world needs, you know, everybody needs money, you know, I need to get paid for the work that I do. But I don't really do this for money, right? When I see grace motivating someone's heart, that's my pay. That's awesome. When I see that, I get so happy because I know God showed up. I know God is real. I know his power is coming out and making people come alive. And I got paid, right? And when you have a church full of people who love getting paid that way, you'll have an awesome church, right? Grace motivation. Now, it says here in the scriptures, you know, lots of people memorize verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. A lot of people memorize this verse. But lots of times people don't learn verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So many people think in the church, You know, I I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was a kid. Therefore, I'm going to go to heaven, right? So then they think, I met Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I said the prayer, and now I'm all done. I got my fire insurance paid up for eternity, and that means for the rest of my life, you know, I'm, I'm off the hook. And so they think that for the rest of their life, what their their life is their agenda, their dreams, their plans, you know, their selfishness, whatever it is. But but you know, Jesus paid it all off. And when a lot of people think this, and, and a lot of people in the church do think this, right? What you're really not what you're believing is not real grace you're believing in cheap grace, false grace. And a lot of people believe in this type of theology, but it's a garbage theology, honestly, right? Because when Jesus buys you with his blood, he's not just buying you so that he can give you some kind of cosmic, get out of jail free card, and you just live your life however the heck you feel like, and then you offer him you know, a plate full of poo, right? With your righteousness, but he's calling you so he could transform you not to do good works out of fear, not to follow him and obey because out of guilt and obligation, but out of the depth of your heart, he washes you. And because you are compelled because he's beautiful and worthy, you want to do this. That's what, that's what grace, that's what grace does to people. And when you begin to see this, that's what the churches is. That's the game guys. That's the name of the game in the church. When grace transforms people and they begin out of a pure and out of a genuine heart, an authentically changed heart, they want to do good for Jesus. Now, some of you are like, oh, man, I'm in trouble then. No. If you have it even a little, you have grace. If it happened even to you somewhat, you have grace. And if it happened to you somewhat, it can happen somewhat more and more. And more, and it will. Right? This is grace. So keep coming, ask for it, believe in it. You know, at the end of the day, this is all I got, guys. As a pastor, I'm not some kind of super leader with some kind of super grand plans, and I'm going to manipulate you. And I've got all no, I don't. I don't have any of that stuff, guys. You know, this is what I got. I've got the gospel, and when I proclaim it. I trust the Holy Spirit will grace you. And then sometimes I meet somebody and I'm like, oh, this guy's really like, ugh, he's lost, Jesus. I'm like, Holy Spirit, help him, grace him. And so I just try to be patient, and I love you, the people that I pastor. But this is what I got. But you know what? It may not look like much, but it's more than enough because it's from God. This is the way God does it. And when you go to a church, this is what you want your pastor to believe in. Not because I'm so special, but because then you know it's from God. Not because the guy up front is any good or he's so great. What makes him good is he believes this, and then he obeys it. That's what makes him any good. And then when you have a whole church do it, because it's not only from the pastor where grace motivation starts to get stoned. It's from all the Christians. When you start to impart words, even small words, I don't know the Bible well, but even brief little words to one another in your fellowship. That's why we have community group. That's why we mold together and intentionally walk together under under Jesus. Even those bits of gospel encouragement that you give to each other, it all becomes a vehicle of the Holy Spirit for grace. And when you have a whole set of church convicted of this and believing this, you'll have magical, incredible things start to happen because the Holy Spirit will show up and you'll just see stuff. That's what I believe is going to happen in our church. It's already starting to happen in our church. And as it starts to happen, a little will turn to more or more and a lot. Until people will start to realize something whacked and crazy has happened over there at New Hope Church. I'll tell you what's happening. Grace motivation is happening. Okay. Number three, let me close up my sermon by talking about all of grace. Let me tell you something. This is the default of the human mind. You know, if, uh, if you could boot up a person, they'd boot up windows, right? It's like you pop, push the button and windows will come up every time. But let me tell you what windows is for the human mind. It is self-salvation. If you could have two ways of going about something, one is it's dependent upon God and it needs God to empower it and he needs God to carry you through it. In other words, he needs grace. And then option number two is, well, I do it of my own smartness and of my own discipline and of my own righteousness and of my own techniques and ability. You know which one you would choose? You would always choose option number two because you are programmed almost like this. Windows goes this way. You will always 100 Out of 100 times, you will always choose the self-salvation project. You will always do it this way. This is the way we are. God is little, but my abilities. I've got to make my money. Well, God, I know they say that God provides for me, but come on, heck, I got to make the money, right? I'm the one who's got to get things worked out. I'm the one who's got to be a good person. I I know, I know that the pastor says it's of of grace, but we always choose self-salvation project. When, it's, when you are on your own, let me just tell you something. You're dead. You're just doing the dying project. Okay? But only when God comes in. God has to help you. God has to help you get this. And sometimes it's like it's hard because some of us are so stubborn. I'm a really stubborn one. It's like, oh, and it's taking me years and years of resisting this because I love the self-salvation project, guys. I like being the smart guy. I like knowing. That's why I like reading all these books, because I like to know stuff, right? I liked to get my act together and try to be the Christian on my own and try to be the smart guy and get my act. Do it on my own, right? But over the years, God just keeps kicking me and and convincing me and wooing me. Sometimes the grace is is a little painful. He kicks me. It's like that's part of the grace, because I'm dumb. Maybe some of you are like that, too. Like saying, because you need to learn it's not the self-salvation project. Let me tell you a story. Grace isn't just how you get into the front door and meet Jesus and believe in him for the first time. Grace is how you're going to make progress. You know, whenever a Christian is down and beaten and burnt out and tired, and I don't know if I, uh, I don't know, but I'm just barely hanging on with this Jesus business. Right? Whenever Christians like this, you know what I do? I just give them more Jesus. And just say, Holy Spirit, they need the grace to take them to Jesus. Right? That's all I do. You know what it works. You just keep doing it. They fall down a hundred times. Grace is sufficient to pick them up a hundred times. They fall down another thousand times beyond that. Grace is sufficient to pick them up another thousand times. It's by grace. God has to do it for you. Let me tell you the story. A number of years ago, I was listening to a sermon from the famous pastor Tim Keller. This is before Tim Keller became Tim Keller. <laughs> he gave I listened to the sermon that he gave and it was literally on a cassette. For those of you who are too young to know what a cassette is, it is this really primitive piece of plastic that was put into a machine and it is it worked like a CD but but not as good. Okay, work like an MP3, but not as good, okay? But anyway, I listened to this old sermon from Tim Keller when he was, um, you know, not so famous uh, prof- professor of preaching at Westminster Seminary. And it, they were going through a sermon series on what they call the five points of Calvinism, right? If, if you don't know what that means, you don't need to know. But basically, there is, a, um, there is a debate within among Christians as to whether you get saved by free will or by predestination. You're like, whoa. Right, And just to give you, if you don't know, the Calvinists are on the side that God has to choose you, call you. In other words, he has to pick you. So you're like, wait a second, does that mean there's no free will? No, no, Calvinists believe in free will. We just don't believe there's such a thing as free will apart from God. There's no such thing as free will apart from God. 100% 100% of the time, 100 out of 100 or 1,000 out of 1,000, you will always choose the option that, where you don't need God. That's the way the human being works, right? So there isn't any free will to actually choose God. It's not, it's not like a, uh, an, uh, a Windows machine can u- up and one day go, hey, let's operate like a Mac. Because it can't, right? There is no freedom of a Windows machine to go, let's boot up like a Mac today. Bing, we're a Mac, right? doesn't happen. the only way it can happen is someone on the outside has to change the operating system and that's God. So there is no such thing as free will apart from God. There is such a thing as free will. All human beings choose what you desire. You're not a robot. You're not a machine. You will always choose between your desires and that's you do freely choose those things, but you know what? If you don't see God, you'll never choose God. Now, in this message, it was a message about unconditional election. And that's just a fancy way of saying, not based upon anything, goodness, and merit in you. God just loves you, even though you don't deserve it. He just loves you because he loves you, and then he chose you. And then he called you, and then he wooed you, till one day, even though you were completely crazy, lost, and stupid, <laughs> the light came on and you believed in Jesus and started to follow him. Sometimes maybe even stumblingly and poorly at first, but you began to believe in Jesus and follow him. That's grace, unconditional election. Now, apparently, when Tim Keller was a young seminary student, probably he had hair back then, okay? He's a bald guy, right? Um, he, he was a seminary student at Gordon-Conwell, and they had a chance to go to a, a famous theologian's house. His name is R.C. Sproul. If you don't know who R.C. Sproul is, he's, he's well, more, better known about 20 years ago. He's an old man now. He's still alive, and R.C. Sproul is a, is a well-known Calvinist pastor and theologian. And the seminary students, and Tim Keller was one of them, they were over at R.C. Sproul's house, and as seminary students do, they, a conversation started up about this predestination free will thing. Right? And one of the girls who was there, she started saying, oh, I don't, I'm, I'm not into that. you know. She started saying, I'm not Calvinist, and she started rejecting this stuff. And... And a very interesting. And at this time, Keller himself wasn't a Calvinist. He didn't think that it's all by grace. He's like, you know, you have to do like this. Like, this view. Like, God does it halfway, and then you kind of got to meet him the other halfway. It's like, kind of partly by grace, and then partly by what you do, your effort part. Right? That's kind of the way he thought. That's the, op- the opposite view of Calvinism. It's called Arminianism. Right? And he was on the other side of, the, of, 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 this, of, of this position at that time. And then this conversation started happening. And so this young woman starts saying, oh, you know, I'm not into this. And this is what happened. R.C. Sproul got on his knees before her and asked her, you're a Christian, right? You know anybody who's not a Christian? Yeah, yeah. My roommate's not a Christian. Oh, okay, good, right? So why did you believe and your roommate didn't, right? And she answered, well, I sought out God in church and found out that Jesus is the Savior, and so I believed. He goes, oh, okay, okay, that's good, good. So why did you see that, seek out God in church and then believe in Jesus, but your roommate did not? Right? So this girl thought about this and she said, Well, well, there was a time in my life when I was unhappy and I was low, you know, in my former life, but when I was not a believer, and so and I wanted something more. And that's what made me start wanting to seek out God in church. She, he goes, okay, good, good. He goes, that makes sense. He goes, all right, why did you, when you were feeling low and weak, did you start seeking out church and God and believe in Jesus, but your friend did not, your roommate did not? And, he, and then she goes, hmm. She goes, well, because I realized that I was a sinner and I was in need of a savior, so that's why I went to church. And he goes, oh, okay, good. That sounds good. Why is it that you realize that you are a sinner in need of a savior, but your roommate does not. And then she goes, hmm. She goes, well, there was something inside me that made me see my sinfulness and my weakness, but my roommate doesn't see it. He goes, oh, okay, so then why is it you are able to see your sinfulness and weakness, but your roommate does not? And then she goes, hmm. And then she got started getting a little thoughtful. I think perhaps there's a bit more humility in me that makes me be able to admit my sinfulness and my weakness, but my roommate doesn't seem to have that. And then he asks us, oh, okay, what is it that gives you that piece of humility which enables you to see your sinfulness and weakness that your roommate doesn't have? Why is it you have this humility and your roommate does it? And then she just got quiet. And then you know what Keller said in the sermon? He goes, dang it, I hated that day. <laughs> he goes, "Ah," oh. Because he realized that is who we are. You don't have some special spark of humility and righteousness and goodness inside you that makes you want to follow Jesus or first believe in Jesus or follow him today or tomorrow or the day after. You know how it is? It's all by grace. It's always by grace. God constantly coming to you by grace, pursuing you, being patient with you, even when you're cursing Him, even when you're stubbornly desiring everything but Him, when you're loving money more than Him, when you're loving family more than Him, when you're loving your success more than Him, when you're depending upon your smarts more than Him, when you're depending on your willpower more than Him, He still pursues you by grace. By grace. It's all by grace. Go to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit impart to you grace. It's by grace. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so glad. It's through you. I'm so glad that it's dependent upon your grace, not on me. Lord, we, we, we're such terrible sheep and awful sons and daughters. And even if we have faith, sometimes it's so bad. We're so half-hearted. And our faith is so weak and so poor and pathetic. And yet, your grace goes on. And it continues to come. Because Jesus, you have died. Jesus, you have paid. And Jesus, you will not be stopped in imparting new life to us by your Spirit. We just thank you. We thank you. What more can we say? But thank you and praise you and respond in our life to follow you and exalt you and share of you. We thank you. It is all by grace. Make our church a church brimming with grace. In fact, overflowing with grace. Drenched in grace. Lord God, pour forth your spirit on our people, in our fellowships, in our community groups, in our families, in our marriages, in our friendships. May all be of grace. Not of us. Not that we can boast, not of our abilities, not of our goodness, but all of you, Jesus. Give us of your spirit and pour forth life through your grace into our weak, barely living hearts. Pour forth grace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.